Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you once again for this opportunity to worship, this opportunity to sing, this opportunity to take communion, uh, to give and to worship through your word. May our worship be pleasing to you. May it draw us closer to you and may we leave here different. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Uh, so you know me, if you know me, you know that uh, one of the things about me is Father's Day, typically in the past, has been my least favorite day in the entire year. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's been my least favorite time to preach. I, I think I've already told you about the time. Maybe some of you were aware of it, but maybe not. Uh, I just ran into Brandy Nybarger down there at the uh, um, USA days, but they got up here and they sang that song, Daddy's Hands. And, and this is when I was here before and I was sitting over here hidden, just bawling. I mean, I was just a mess, right? And I have to get up and preach in a few moments after that because they're singing about Daddy's Hands being kind and tender. And, and I'm thinking, well, man, my dad was wasn't anything like that and just angry at that point in my life. Uh, so Father's Day is filled with so many what-ifs, like what if my dad would have loved me the way he was supposed to? What if my dad would have not been addicted to pornography or drugs? What if my dad would have truly loved my mom the way he was supposed to? You know, and, and all of those what-ifs kind of really built up over time and in life. And truth is, I never really realized the full impact that my dad had on my life until my dad was gone. And, and really, up to that point, I, I didn't realize the negative impact, and I also didn't realize one other thing. And before I go any further, I just want to say, I now know in my life that I had to go through everything that I went through to put me in a position to receive Christ. I'm no longer angry. I can really stand up and say some of these things with a sense of joy. Uh, so, but I also know that that pain comes back, and there are times that, you know, you just get sucker punched with grief. You get sucker punched with emotions, right? And you have to deal with those things. And, uh, and so I know I'm not along in, in those moments. And for the most part, you know, Mother's Day brings about pain for different reasons, doesn't it? Mother's Day brings about pain because we're missing a mom who loved and cared and took care of us so well. Or, or maybe, unfortunately, for the woman who's trying to, to really conceive a child and is having a struggle doing that. But when it comes to Father's Day, most of the time the pain is the fact that dad was less than. He, he was less than he was supposed to be. He was, he was abusive, he was apathetic, or he was absent. And, and I can see in my mind's eye, uh, after this morning I was thinking through this again, uh, when we went from this trip, or from this, this church on a fishing trip, I know Russell went and Fred Altizer went and some other guys up to Alpena, Michigan uh, to go uh, salmon fishing. And there are two things I remember about that trip very very vividly. First, I remember Russell hooking into a salmon and this 10-year-old kid up on the bridge coaching him through every moment. I think Russell wanted to turn around and just say, shut up, kid. Uh, so the next thing I remember is when we were sitting around a campfire and Ken Clippinger sitting there. Ken and I were the only tough ones to sleep in a tent. The rest of them piled into Fred's uh, camper that he had. But we're sitting around this campfire and just talking, and Ken, at this point in his 70s, tearing up, and he said these words. You know, sometimes the worst thing a father can do is stick around. Man, think about the impact. You know, our fathers have impacted our lives in more ways than we realize. And, and should we be fortunate to be able to pick up the phone, to call dad, and, and, and man, do it. Really, seriously, do it. You, you have to. You have to do it. And by the time I get to the end of my message, maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, I don't like my dad. My dad isn't worthy of a call. If you're a follower of Christ, listen, I'm going to tell you right now and I'm going to tell you again, do it. There's no excuse for it not to. 
you think about that impact and the next chance you get to go to see a little league ball game, see what happens when a young boy or a young girl gets a hit or strikes out or makes a mistake. Oftentimes, who's the first person they look up to? They look up to dad. They want to know if he's disappointed. They want to see his approval. I'm telling you guys, this is something that's in our lives. We have to understand, you know, life is sliding right by you and it is. Right? So if you did the math, this is year 50 for April and I, if we make it. I mean, the Lord might take me home before then, but it's year 50. I can't believe that my son's back here carrying his two boys in. Wow, it's crazy. Being a father of young children is tough, and as I look back at those days, they seem to have flown by, and there are questions that, you know, that I had that I struggle with daily as a man, as a follower of Christ, and as a dad. What did I show them that matters the most to me? What did they see me spending my time doing? Uh, Did they see me loving and respecting their mom the way that I should? Uh, Did they see me loving and respecting them the way that I should? And man, I look back and, and, and there are times that I just, man, I could have done better. I should have done better in those areas. If you've been given the amazing opportunity of being the guardians of one of God's children, when's the last time you asked a very serious question? And I think it's a question that we need to grapple with as Christian men this morning. And this is the question, what legacy am I leaving? What legacy am I leaving? There are two Old Testament passages of Scripture. And the first one is Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. Listen to what it says. My people hear my teaching. Listen to my, the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with the parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to to, to teach their children so that the next generation would know them, even children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children, then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. The primary point of this passage of scripture that we see there is that the people of Israel should not be like their dads. Did you see it there? You know, that former generation, they didn't spend time teaching their kids about God's ways and God's word. So guys, don't be like that is what the psalm writer is declaring. And I I think it's important for us to grab a hold of that. If the next generation is going to be a part of the body of Christ, then men, fathers, we need to look into our hearts and we need to realize that there's something in us that they need and that something in us goes beyond some of the things that we really try to teach them it goes into the fact that we need to get God's word into their hearts and heads that they need to see that from us taking a look back through the Old Testament there are countless times uh, uh, that we see the impact of men on their families like Joshua at the end of his life declaring as for me and my house we will serve the Lord or Eli do you remember Eli he was the priest who fell over dead and broke his neck 
and, and what happened to him as he failed to discipline his boys and God took the high priesthood away from him. Or there's David. Whoo, David. I'm going to preach about David's life this year. I really got convicted about it and I thought I've added it into the preaching schedule because David is called God's man, but God's man chased after a woman who wasn't his, killed her husband, tried to cover it up. And, and then as a result of that, right, Nathan looks at him, the prophet, and, and, and shares that story with him and convicts him of his sin. But then after that, do you know what happened in David's life? Man, it's sad. Just read through it. He had one of his sons rape a half-sister. Her half-brother would kill, or her full brother would kill the brother responsible. That son would be banished. He would be brought back and kept away from his father and eventually would seek to overthrow his father's kingdom, even sleeping with all of his concubines on the roof of the palace. And it all started, do you know what it all started with? One sentence. In the time of year when kings were supposed to be at war. When David wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing as a man, a father, and a leader. Man, think about that impact, men. Solomon would allow himself to be pulled away from God, and is in any wonder that soon after he died, the kingdom of Israel would be split. You see, the role of a father is important in the life of a child. One more passage from the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Love the Lord your God, he says, with all your heart. And then take that love. This is what, what he's saying. Take that love and give it to your children. Every opportunity you get, give it to your children. Guys, over the years, listen to, look at us, right? Think of all the things that we teach our kids to do. I think about myself, I spent a lot of years coaching. I've coached football, I've coached baseball, I've coached basketball, I've coached bowling. I mean, and then some of the other things, going out and fishing and teaching those things. And, and listen, there's nothing I wouldn't do. And I don't want to, you know, I play this game where I beat myself up over the things I didn't do. If I could go back along with those and maybe even above those, I would spend just more time reading my Bible with my boys, with my kids. And you know what? The, the truth is, is maybe at that point they would have, like, come on, Dad, I don't want to do this. And they, they, but just a little bit. Talking to them about faith and matters of faith. Challenging my boys on areas of how to pray. And I, I still remember those moments, right? Some of those moments that you never know when they're going to go away. When I'd walk into their rooms at night and they'd say, Dad, are you going to pray with us? Man, those days fly by. So, man, how would your children finish off this sentence? My dad has a love for. My dad has a love for. Uh, the former preacher, retired preacher at the Linesville Church where I was at, he tells the story uh, about sitting down with a family that he didn't know, that he didn't know, and asking them about uh, their dad that he was going to preach a funeral for. And he looked at me and he said, you know, when I sat down across from them, I said, well, tell me about your dad. Do you want to know what they said? Wow. I, I guess my dad really liked watching TV. And what about us, man? What do our kids see in us? Do they see a love for the Ohio State Buckeyes? Do they see a love for fishing, for golfing, for work? 
I think there are four areas or four loves that our, our, our children should see in us that will leave a lasting legacy. And I, I want to share those this morning. And the first one is this, uh, uh, that our children need to see a love for Jesus Christ. Uh, do we really have a love for Christ? I, I'm not just talking about, do we want the forgiveness of sins attached to our life and so that when we die, we have the hope of heaven and everything is okay and then we just have Jesus as this extra part of who we are. I'm not talking about that kind of love. I'm talking about the kind of love that changes every aspect of who we are. John 14 says this, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. And this is why this is important, right? We've got to teach our kids that if we're going to show love to God, then what that love to God does is it expresses itself through acts of obedient worship to Christ. I mean, obedient worship, right? Not the kind of worship that we want to choose. But then when God's word comes into our lives and it challenges us in areas that we're wrong, in areas that we're struggling with, that we just, man, I'm not where God wants me to be. I need to be here. That's the kind of love that we need to show our children. If Jesus is going to be the centerpiece of our lives, then our children will see it. We'll see it. They'll see it in our obedience and walking in the commands of God's word with the words that we use, with the things that are important to us. I've always loved taking naps, and especially on Sunday afternoons, especially when it's rainy outside, and, and my kids would often catch me taking naps. Like every other father, I'd turn on a television show, mainly golf. Golf's a perfect nap sport. <laughs> so, golf and NASCAR. So those are perfect nap sports. So, and then uh, to pick up the remote. You know what you say after your kids pick up the remote and turn it, right? I was watching that. <laughs> so do our kids catch us in God's word on a regular basis? Do our kids catch us carrying our Bibles into church? Do our kids catch us praying? You know, they do catch us sinning. They do. That's tough when it happens. And in those moments, you know what a true love for Jesus Christ will do? We'll show repentance. We'll ask for forgiveness for what we've done wrong in their lives. We'll seek to lead them back to a closer love of Christ. Second thing I think our kids should see is a love for our family. My dad not only has a love for Jesus Christ, but he has a love for my mom, and he loves me. I'm not trying to paint this perfect picture of a family environment where everything is great, right? Now, not everybody can be Ward Cleaver. If you don't know who Ward Cleaver is, ask your parents. And if they don't know, ask your grandparents. Uh, so that I'm realizing how dated that reference might be for some folks. Uh, so truth is, uh, we, we have model relationships, or we should understand that we model relationships in our homes to our children. Right? We do. They're looking, they're watching us. They see how we handle conflict. They see how we express our love to one another. Men, do your children see you loving your wife? The Bible says, husbands, love your wives just as Jesus or Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. What does it say, guys? 
What does it say? I, I know the Bible is expressing something a little bit deeper here, talking about the relationship of Jesus and the church and us. But in that, he's using marriage. And he says in that, guys, that we need to love our wives in such a way that, that we're, can, we're seeing ourselves presenting them to God. Does this passage speak of the manner in which you love your wife? I get this picture in my head of, uh, of April, right? And, and just at the end of life, maybe if we die together, which would be the hope for every married couple. Uh, so, and, and uh, don't want to imagine how that might be, but if we do die together, that we walk through, that I walk through carrying her, and I carry her to the best I can, you know, to, to present her to God as best I can, as flawed as I am, as many mistakes as I've made as a, as a husband, as, as flawed as I am, that I carry her to the throne of God. I say, God, I've done my best to love her toward you. And that's what that passage is speaking of. That's, that's what it's telling us. And so do our children see that in us? The truth is, is boys need to see their dads loving, respecting their wives, leading their wives uh, in grace. If this is impossible, then women who have an influence on their boys growing up, make sure you, they see you respecting men. Don't speak down about them. If their dad is absent, don't tear them down with your words. Hold it into yourself. Talk with other people. Don't put that burden on that child, especially that young boy. Girls need to see what it looks like and for a husband to love a woman. Truth is, is that girls will marry a guy like you guys. Do you want that? Think about that. Do you want that? Dads not only need to love and lead their wives, but they need to love and lead their children. Ephesians chapter 6. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. It, what does this mean? It means understanding that your children are going to make mistakes. And when they do, don't browbeat them. Man, I was bad about browbeating. I, I, I wish I could go back to those moments of correction with my boys. It doesn't do any good. Realize, as they've made mistakes, that you've made mistakes. Remember your own failures as a child. Don't be surprised by their, their failures because the, the, they're going to fall, right? They're going to fall. It's just, it's, I used to joke about this, but whenever teachers would talk to us about our boys, they'd say, hey, I need to talk to you about Preston. Oh, well, what'd he do? Yeah, and most of the time it was, well, he, was, he did something good, you know, but, just, but when they fall, and they will fall, we need to be there to help pick them up, not browbeat them when they're down. That's exasperating. For the past few years of my life, I've been involved in a men's Bible study. I really want to get something like that going on here. Uh, it's nothing fancy. We meet together. We pray together with one another. We read God's Word together. And as we're reading God's Word, here's what we do. What's God's Word saying? Are we failing anywhere? What do we need to do and how can we help each other do it? That's basically what we do. If you're interested in that, please let me know. It doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. This is important. But I'll never forget the morning when a man named Doug Forrester in this men's group reminded us of a simple truth. And, and this truth led me to this realization, right? And uh, the realization is this. When I stand before God, God's not going to ask me how many sermons I've preached. He's not going to ask me how many churches I've been to. He's not going to ask me how many people I've baptized. He's not going to ask any of those things. When I stand before God, the first question that he's going to ask me is he's going to say, where's April? Where's Taylor and Preston and CJ? 
Where's Delaney and Jameson and Dominic and Tate? And there's another baby on the way. Where are they? Where are they? See, because I get this picture in my head that, that when I get in heaven and I want to be there first, I know it's a selfish thing, but I, I want to wait and I want to welcome all of them in. And for the most part, it's not all on me. It's not all on me as a Christian man, as a husband, or as a dad. It's not all on me, but man, I have an influence. Men, so do you. So do you. Third thing they should see is a love for the family of God. Our children are watching what we do with the church and the people at the church. Hebrews chapter 10. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I have a friend who served as an elder in a church, and this church was, man, just splintering falling apart and we were talking on the phone on a regular basis and I encouraged my friend I said man I think it's time for you to pick up your family and find another body of Christ to worship with and the truth is I wasn't the only person telling him that and then he responded to me something so important and so powerful that I'll never forget it he said you know what I really hear what you're saying and I'm getting that advice from other people but I want my kids to understand something about my church family my church family is an extension of my family and if things have got tough there at the church family and I teach them well let's just pick up our Bibles and our checkbooks and let's go to a church down the road then what I'm telling them is those people that we called family really weren't family at all because families fight through struggles families push through and stay together man church what do our kids see in us and what we think about the body of Christ when things get rough when we don't like what's going on do they see us picking up our Bibles and our checkbooks and finding the church down the road? I'm not saying that the church is the only place in which we can express spiritual worship and where it's lived out, but I do think, I do think that we've allowed this mindset to creep in that says, well, I don't need the body of Christ to have a relationship with Christ. Really? I mean, read Scripture. Don't forsake the meeting together with one another. This is needed in the family. And when the church has done something to harm us or hurt us, men, at those times where it's easy to hold grudges and we can become accusers of the brethren or we can set an example to our children that the church, like the family, is worth fighting for. What would happen in the church of the United States of America, in the church right here in this community, right here, if when the next crisis comes up, we don't allow it to splinter us? When the next time we disagree over something, we use that to come together instead of pushing apart. Uh, we're showing our children what church means. Do they see in us it's important enough to sacrifice our time, our energy, and our treasure for his church? Do they see in us that it's important for us to get involved, make our best efforts, not give the church our leftovers? Do they see and hear us speaking well about the church? Man, those are times that I drop the ball. Just frustrations from being in ministry and talking about that in front of my kids and just planting, planting those seeds of doubt from the struggles that I was carrying. Man, men, do your children, both young and old, see you 
as a person who's using their gift in the body of Christ. The Bible says this, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Christ, Christ has gifted us. He's called us as men to lead. I didn't tell them I was going to do this, but would our elders and deacons that are in the room stand up? I think, I know Tom's back there. Would you guys just stand up for a moment? Sorry for putting you on the spot. So, so. These are men that aren't perfect men, but have answered that call to lead. Thanks, guys. So. And my question is this. Who's the next generation? Who's the next generation of men to pick up that mantle and lead? Who's the next generation to set that example? I'm praying that God will give us the courage as men to step up and lead in this kingdom. Right? The last love, the last love is a love for evangelism. So you, you probably knew that one was coming with me preaching. Uh, so... It, it, Matthew chapter 28, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I remember a time with CJ, about three or four years old, sitting in the back seat. He was in his car seat, old enough to talk. So I, uh, and uh, he, he says up in that cute little voice, by the way, parents, you guys with your smartphones and being able to record every word and every step, gosh, you guys are lucky. So the, those days are gone for us, and we don't ha I don't hear their voices anymore. And I, so save them. Make sure you put them on computers. Don't just keep them on your phones in case it crashes, because I, I wish I heard their voices. I can hear them in my mind's ear, but just to have them. CJ sitting in the back seat says, Dad, when, when I grow up, I want to be a preacher. And I thought, wow, I mean, he wants to be like his dad. That's the, the first thought that I had, and that's kind of a prideful thought. And we started talking back and forth, and I said, you know, well, why is that? Do you want to be like me? He said, no. <laughs> uh, he said these words, because I want to tell people about Jesus. He said, man, what we give our lives to is what's important to us. What we give our lives to is what's important to us. And it's not just the man who stands in the pulpit or the men that just stood up that matter in this. It's all of us. It's all of us, men. Do our kids see us taking faith to other people? They see us doing that. The Bible says, when Jesus called his disciples, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's all of us. It starts right in our homes, men. It starts with us. I want to close real quick uh, with a couple of dangers in preaching a message like this. And here's the first danger. Uh, thanks, preacher, for reminding me that my dad wasn't like this. Man, I get it. Right, it's like the whole daddy's hands thing coming up. Right, I, I get it. Uh, go ahead and put that picture up there. So This is a picture of my dad and I. I know it's the summer of 1994, and I know my dad died in March of 1995. So, you know, I wasn't a follower of Christ here. And the truth is, is, you know, for a big part of my life, my dad, man, it was rough. I've said the words, I mean, kind of the words that come to mind are scoundrel, loser. 
I mean, abuser. I mean, it was rough. I don't want to sugarcoat those things, but I also don't want to just focus on those things right now. No one knows the, more than the what-ifs. And when I look at that picture, and if you look at that picture, I don't know how well you can see it up there. So, man, I look into my dad's eyes, and I see those what-ifs in his eyes right there. Maybe it's just me reading too much in, but I, I don't know. Uh, my dad made a lot of mistakes in life, right? He, he did a lot of things that were just wrong, a lot. He was abusive. He was selfish. He was absent at times, not absent from the home, but you can be present and be absent. He didn't care for my mom the way I think men should care for their wives. And it was rough. But now I look at my dad a little bit differently in this picture. And I think, what if, there's a different what if. What if, right, if, if that 22-year-old me, I think that's what I was, maybe not even 22 yet, maybe 21 at that point. So if it was, no, I was 20, 22. So what if that 22-year-old me right there would have already been a follower of Christ and, and had Christ in my life and even dealing with all of that pain there? And, and I think about the grace my kids have given me, and I, I wish that what if I have is that I wish I could go back to this right here and show my dad the grace that my kids give me. Because I don't deserve it. More importantly, I wish I could show him the grace that Christ gives me. Because the truth is, is no matter how much pain, no matter how much pain there is, and I know there's a lot, and some, some have so much tremendous pain that this might be impossible for you. But, but listen, that's, that's far over on a scale that's kind of hard to even fathom. But most of us, most of us, even in that pain, we need to consider one thought here. Man, the gospel may have came to me on the way to my earthly father. So I need to show him grace and forgiveness. Maybe I'm the one that needs to lead him to Christ. I started with that struggle. You know, I was baptized here January the 8th of 1995. On March the 22nd of 1995, I hung up the phone with my dad, and I said, you know, the kids and I, it was Taylor and Preston at that point. We're gonna, Preston is just a, less than a couple of months old. We're gonna come over, we're gonna see you this weekend. And I had in my, my mind that I was gonna to talk to him about the gospel because I had just become a follower of Christ. And then we come back from Walmart on March the 23rd, and we're living with Roy and Melinda, and she says, your dad's gone. I'll never know. Maybe you can. Maybe you have that opportunity. So, thanks, preacher. My dad was nothing like this. You just might be the person who can show grace and mercy and be the person who can lead them to Christ. And, and, and another thing, thanks, preacher, for making me feel better about myself. Because right? if you're like most men, most men, we focus on all the things that we've done wrong. We focus on all those mistakes that we've made. And when God's word convicts us, it, it never convicts us. Here's what we got to understand, to put us to shame. But it does so in order that we take a stand today. We can start today. We can start by repenting and beginning to refocus uh, on leaving the legacy that God desires for us to leave. Modeling repentance may be one of the most important legacies that you'll be able to leave to your children. And what does repentance start with? And I was wrong. I'm sorry. I know I can't go back and make all those wrong things right, but today I want to start trying to do what I can do 
So men, if you're here in this room this morning, perhaps maybe you'll listen to this later or watch it later from our YouTube page. I want to ask you this question. Will you take a stand today and say that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Will you take a stand today and say that you'll love and lead your family to the throne of grace? Will you take the stand today and say that the body of Christ will be a priority in your life? And will you take the stand today and say the gospel of Jesus Christ is still the hope of the world? Will you? Will you take that stand? Father, thank you so much for our dads, our grandpas, for the healthy legacies they do leave in so many of our lives. But we also thank you for those that maybe are not so healthy, remembering right now that even through all that difficulty and all the struggle and all the pain that's there, that we had to go through it to see you so God, if we have the chance, if our earthly fathers are still alive and we can take that step of, of showing forgiveness, leading them to you, may your spirit convict us and lead us to do that today. God, most importantly, we thank you for being the ultimate father. You are the good, good father. You loved us enough to sing your son to die in our place. You loved us when we are at our worst. You've given us the opportunity to call you Father. So God, may you do your work in our hearts through your spirit. And may we leave in steps of obedience this morning as followers of Christ. We pray these things in your son's most holy name. Amen. Perhaps this morning you need to understand that if your earthly dad wasn't like that and you don't have that relationship with Christ, you say, man, I get it, preacher, but I'm not there where you are. You know where it started with me? It started on January the 4th of 1995 when Darren shared the gospel with me, and it's continued to work through as God's Spirit works in me. But here's what you have to do. If you know that Jesus died for your sins and you believe that, you need to put your faith in him. You need to repent of sin, confess Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, submit to Christian baptism, spend the rest of your life chasing holiness. And that's a challenge. And lead your family to do the same.